Episode where me, Nick Marsh, and I, Roger Bell West, watch films that are widely or at least considered by critics as masterpieces um, in vaguely chronological order and then discuss it. So I suppose we, we should start with why are we doing this anyway? I mean, there are people who know much more about film than we do. Where do we, where do we get started on this? Well, I suppose then. Um, uh, I could explain what I've vaguely been doing, which was I got, um, what did I do? When Amelia was born, which was four years ago, I needed something to read because we were in the hospital for some time. So mm-hmm. I went to the newsagents and I bought the only thing that I could stomach to read, which was Empire's 101 movie masterpieces. Mm-hmm. And then I got this crazy idea. It was vaguely arranged chronologically. And I realised there were a lot more films that are considered masterpieces than I had probably had time to watch in my life, but certainly there are enough to watch <laughs> a significant amount of them. Um, and also organise it chronologically would be a way of watching films that I just probably wouldn't watch otherwise, but I wanted to watch films that are at least by some people considered either masterpieces of the form or uh, yeah, creating a genre or a mood or a style or, or a trailblazer, trailblazer of some kind. Yeah, there are certainly a few where at the time they came out, people said, yeah, this is pretty good, but it's basically this. And then five years later, somebody noticed, hang on, everybody has been imitating this specific film. <laughs> yes. Often on like, lower um, budget and with poorer actors. I don't know if Star Wars would fit into that category, but yeah. There was cert- it cert- Star Wars certainly kicked off a sci-fi boom. Yes. Um, I mean, Jaws, Jaws kicked, kicked off kicked the off blockbuster. blockbusters. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but both of those, in fact, ended the, well, were, were part of ending the, the period that we're really going to be talking about today. Well, that's true. So I've been going through chronologically, but we've joined me uh, in the 70s, 1973 specifically, because we were watching Terence Malick's directorial debut, Badlands. Yeah, uh, he, I, th- I think he'd done a short before, but I know nothing about it. This was certainly no, his first full-length film. It was first feature film, yeah. Um, so, um, well, I can. Do, I know we've both watched it, but I will do a quick summary of the plot okay. to just remind us where we were. Uh, basically, we were set. Uh, we are set in um, the languid and dreamlike North Dakota. I believe it was North Dakota. Uh, um, south, I think. It, south it, Dakota. It, it, obviously, you can tell by the leaves, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I should have known. I should have known straight away. Uh, they do move around a bit, to be fair. Um, it is, uh, follows the story of Kit, um, a teenage, early 20s, possibly garbage um, uh, truck uh, assistant um, who meets Holly, who is a young, I think she's 14. In the film, yeah, something like that, yeah. Certainly, a young teenager. Um, they fall in love. Um, Kit kills a big father. asterisk there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll come on to that. Kit kills a father. Holly seems less concerned about this than I would have been. <laughs> um, they go off together on 
a what would be described as a killing spree, I believe, by the FBI, a spree killing um, <laughs> rather than serial killing. They kill a number of people in a very short space of time um, and it doesn't end well. Though, but it ends better than yeah, some films. Not everybody that, dies. Not everybody dies, uh, at least not at the conclusion of the film. That's, uh, that's a fairly short summary of it. Um, I don't know. I've written some pros and cons. I've written some thoughts about it. I don't know how you'd want to approach it, Roger, really. Well, I'd ad- lib, really. If, if, if we had a mm-hmm. for- formal structure, then we'd have a formal structure. Um, that's true. The, the first thing that occurred to me, I mean, I've... My my exposure to Malik is I'm pretty sure I saw the thin red line on mm. an aeroplane when I was mostly asleep. So, you know, I, I don't regard that as a positive or negative. <laughs> it's funny. I feel films you watch on a plane get you in a very different emotional state to ones you watch elsewhere. So I never quite trust myself in how I feel <laughs> about a film I watch on a plane. I watched, I did watch the thin red line in the cinema. That was a period of time, probably 97 to 99, where myself and my university friends literally went to the cinema every Sunday mm-hmm. to watch whatever film was out and so that happened to be one of those it felt like it was about four hours long, I couldn't tell you the actual <laughs> running time, I was not a huge fan of The Thin Red Line. Yeah, so so certainly my, my initial reaction to to the opening in particular was that on a meta level it's really fascinating because you can see how it's making that transition from the Brando Dean 1950s rebellion mm. stuff to the I, I think it would be fair to call Neo Noir. I mean, it, it doesn't right. it doesn't have a lot in common with the original Noir, which we may well come back and talk about it in, in later. Oh, I very much hope so. But yeah, it, that 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 You're whole... talking about the sort of seventies new wave type of yeah. Well, the, this is. Um, I mean, it's it's not the beginning or particularly the end of what was called the Hollywood New Wave at the time, but it's it's definitely mm. in there. Yes. Um, or was it American? Anyway. Um, so when you suddenly the, the, had artistic directors. Um, in other words, they, they, the... they got, basically, they got a bit away from the studio system. Yes. And got, yeah. got a bit more, bit more creative control. And then, um, Jaws and Star Wars happened. And the studio mm. said, right, we want that control back. <laughs> yes. And it's all been perfect and wonderful ever since. <laughs> uh, but the, the contrast to, I, I, I was seeing all those connections. And on the other hand, I was finding this is really quite hard work actually to watch, mm. uh, particularly in that in that early stage. So, what did, what was it about it that you felt was a hard watch? Um, it's mm, my general attitude to film is that I mostly want to be entertained. The things that entertain me are not mm. necessarily the same things that make a blockbuster, but broad, yes. broadly, I'm I'm looking for. Fairly upbeat, fairly hopeful a lot of the time. And this, right from the beginning, isn't. Even if you don't know the plot, it's pretty clear that this is not going to end well. It's, it's the, hard the whole to setup can't end well. It's, um, it's, a, it's a hard feeling to describe, but even before any killings have happened, it has a sort of very detached and kind of dreamlike feeling to it, which I... Uh, partially associated with directors like Kubrick, this kind of coldness. Mm. Um, I didn't think it was perhaps as cold as I associate with Kubrick, but certainly very low. Uh, everyone is very unemotional. 
and very quiet and very languid, even when they've been shot, even when they've just <laughs> shot someone. Um, and I agree. Well, I, for me, the reason I'm asking is for me, I find that tone, which I, because uh, I've been watching through these years, occurred in the late 60s and occurs in a lot of films of that period. Mm-hmm. I find it almost immediately off-putting, that kind of tone. And I, I can't, I don't know quite why, but I feel... That's why I found it a hard watch, and I was wondering if that was the same sort of thing with you. Not so much as, you know, this is clearly our protagonist, and uh, even before the main events get started, he's not hes not a particularly nice guy. He, he, he wouldn't claim to be. No. Uh, I, I think the, the thing I found myself doing was drawing a sort of line of this kind of adolescent rebellion, uh, which I would probably start with the wild one, right? Um, yes, but yeah. So, so uh, Rebel Without a Cause has, has the, the suburban thing. I mean, this this is clearly a very small town, but it, it is it is suburban. There are houses everywhere, even if there isn't paved road everywhere. Yes, in, in the bits we see until until we get out. Um, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, it's the one that yeah, really I to wanted mind, to compare with Bonnie and Clyde and which, see how you felt. Which is also regarded as American New Wave, and that's six years earlier than this one. Yes. And the, then I uh, looked, looked afterwards, and then, you know, Heathers, Thelma and Louise, Natural Born Killers. Natural yeah. Born Killers was actually inspired by the same uh, incidents that inspired this, though. It, oh, yeah, I should mention that, that this, uh, this is very loosely based on the stark weather, which brings a whole different connotation if you're a Call of Cthulhu fan but the Starkweather <laughs> and is it Fugate Fugate killing in, Fugate uh, Spree killing in 1958 which is very I mean there's it's I, I don't really want to compare it to what really happened because it doesn't claim to be especially based on it other than very loosely based well there are some interesting contrasts one one thing in particular um, where, when Starkweather and Fugate were caught both of them spent an awful lot of time um, explaining that it was all the other ones' fault, and they, they were forced <laughs> yes. to go along with it, and, and, and yes. that's not a thing we see here. So, that's no, possibly, no, that's possibly a contrast worth drawing. Um, yeah, I, I did have a look at um, Thompson's. Have you seen? Yes, uh, the, that was the, one of the books that inspired me to do this as well. And he regards it primarily as a western, mm. a, a late western. Um. And to me, it's much more of a piece with with those adolescent rebellion films, and uh, yeah, you know, to some extent, the, the allure of the bad boy. But basically, I mean, yeah, this this, this is Martin Sheen. He's mm. ten years into his career, but he can still look like a young guy. Yes. And I, well, it's funny you mentioned Dean. Dean James Dean is explicitly mentioned as as uh, basically as, as the, the the kit the the guy character looks like James Dean and very and, much and in fact, act uh, and be like him. Well, Sheen had in fact deliberately modelled himself on that style. Mm. Which, so presumably that was a... Yeah. Uh, Sissy Spacek, not quite her first film role, but definitely the one that, the first one that anybody saw in any number. It's before Carrie, isn't it? Presumably. Oh yeah. I yeah. Yeah, I mean she'd been in some small stuff, but this um, this was definitely the, f- the first film of any size that she was in. Well, I guess, so we, we've talked about, uh, both of us possibly for different reasons were off put and found it hard to watch. Did your opinion, did, did it change during the film? Did you, did you become gripped? Did you feel satisfied at the end of it? Uh, as an overall story, I thought it worked reasonably well. Um, 
I am told that it is a flaw in my in my appreciation of narrative that I do like to have somebody um, to sympathise with, and that yeah. they really ain't here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know that that's. But, but there are unusual. some really, in, in spite of that, there are some really interesting things going on here. Yes. Um, the the thing I think where I really sat up and paid attention was during the shooting of her father, um, because the body language in that. Mm. Yeah, he he has just shot her father. She is a witness yeah. to it. She yeah. she is rushing forward and saying we should we should call the doctor. Um, and he's just casually turning away, saying, "Yeah, you can do that if you like." Um, yeah. There's that implication. You can call the cops. You can run away. You can stay with me. I just I don't, don't really care. Yeah, that was it, very much. A, yeah, I just, don't care. Here is a thing I'm going to do. You want to be part of it? Sure. Yes, I agree. I think that was a big part of. Partly why I found it off-putting, but also, and I'm sure that is very deliberate, the contrast between the enormity of the actions and the kind of reactions, particularly of um, of Kit, the murderer. But also, my problem there, that, that it did seem to <laughs> ripple out to everyone in the film, no one really reacted in an emotional way that mm. I perhaps would have done in that scene. So while I agree, I, I really I really like the fact that Kit is, is basically, I don't know if he's just trying to be James Dean and effortlessly cool, and I, but I think he genuinely doesn't care about the actions. <laughs> he's just, he just doesn't really know what he mm. wants, um, other than he knows he's vaguely enjoying himself. I just felt that um, where I disconnected from the film a bit, and, I, and even her reaction, um, Holly's reaction, is... I, I, I like that she, as well. She would be yeah. excused if she screamed, but she doesn't. She doesn't, but I like that. I mean, the whole uh, this whole film is is kind of I don't know if brought together, but there is a voiceover, a la Blade Runner, um, <laughs> uh, with same with a similar level of emotion to Harrison Ford. Um, but I liked the voiceover because it was so naive and so seemingly That's... profound, but actually so glaringly missing this thing that she was so deeply in her head, in over her head with. It's interesting you should say that, because the impression I got from it was, possibly because I'm, I'm uh, a little more cynical in this particular regard, that, that it was blatantly self-serving, that she knew exactly what she was getting into, but she was in the voiceover trying to spin it for the best. Oh, trying to back out as if she had nothing to do with it, and that... Uh, yeah, I mean, possibly because I was familiar with Stuck with a Fugate before I watched this. Well, it could, yeah, so I wasn't until I watched it. And, and you're right, it was much muddier there, that uh, in the film, Kit's very kind of noble. I mean, aside, <laughs> at least towards her. He's you know, presenting... No suggest- yeah, I mean, in a different context, it could be, you know, he's read the right sort of books about what heroes do. Mm-hmm. And is missing that this is not what heroes do in civilization. It's and interesting. Ba- basically, still... he, he kills pretty much everybody who causes a minor obstruction to him. Yes, he does. But there's another scene where he, they're both getting in a car and he suddenly remembers himself rushing around and opens the door for her. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I kind of like that contrast of, you know, he's still got some, Civility, you know, even when he's talking to people, it's like, "How about I kill you? How would that be?" You know, he's he's very polite about it. He never seems to get angry or frustrated. He only expresses. I'm interested. There are a few scenes in the movie where he is obviously clearly very angry, and in hmm. those moments, we're shown that very much from a remove. You see it from across the yard, or him sort of kicking the dirt and shaking himself and being frustrated. Or that is the chasing most the guy down. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, um, th- th- there is a... I suppose you could call it a different pathology, which which is the person who just wants to feel something, and if they're feeling angry, then that's good, and they're going to try to do the things that make them feel angry. Yes. This, this isn't that. No. Um, you know, if, if it were in the 80s, then one would say, oh, well, this is a guy who's been told that he can do anything, and he's realised he's never going to be important, but this isn't that pathology either. Um some people in the 50s were saying, well, you know, our parents went off and saved the world from, from the Nazis. Now what do we get to do? Yeah. Well, this was the growth of the town. And I think I totally agree with you. It doesn't feel like a Western. A Western is about, you know, the frontier and the lawless country, whereas this is well, a man just... Sorry. No, 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 go on. Well, this felt to me as a, a man, or barely a man, just rebelling without a cause you know <laughs> to coin a phrase you know he doesn't really know what or why he's rebelling against but he is i think you're right he's seen his future as it's planned out by society and doesn't think much of it and is going to forge his own path you're going to die a garbage man yeah 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 uh yeah the um the thing that did strike me is that there is some of the visual grammar or or the conceptual perhaps grammar of, of the west i mean to me western scenery yeah. is not so much the great endless flat plains but the endless flat plains with a mountain in the distance but uh, we yeah, certainly get that that's a yeah to me this that that is the you know the shooting happens they leave town they they go not not so much in terms of the nominal geography but in terms of how crowded places are uh, yeah, I, I've been to South Dakota. It is not a crowded place. You you have a little town, and then three hours drive in the next little town. But yes, in terms of how it's presented here, how, um, how how it looks, they're going from the crowded, civilized place into the wilderness. Yeah, and it's when they come back from the wilderness when they see the train that things start to go seriously wrong. That yes, from their so point that, of view, as opposed to the people they meet on the way, obviously. I, well, it's already gone quite wrong. So that would be you pointing towards that being a sort of a western. So I, I, that that is where I would say yes, there is a western element to it. There, I mean that 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 is a. It's certainly uh, quite uh, um, a sort of a lonely film for a lot of it. You know that it's mainly just the two of them meeting the odd sort of person and killing most of them along the way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there is there is a transition in that. I mean, the the early bits he yeah basically you 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 are big you are stopping me from getting what I want, therefore I'm going to shoot you. Yes. Um, and then there's that bit the 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 guy's just in the script as uh, in the credits as rich man. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the guy living in the big house with the maid. Yes. Now I must admit I did feel some tension there, particularly mm-hmm. when he was. Because this was prefaced by the scene where he, he ushers the young couple into a coal cellar and then just callously shoots, presumably, we never even find out, presumably shoots at least one of them dead, so mm. possibly both of them. And e- so, even he doesn't bother to check, yeah. Even he's not even interested, really, whether he's done it or not. Um, and then, yeah, we have the... the, 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 the I felt a tension there because I presumed they were just going to kill him. And so I liked the the feeling there. Nowhere near that, I don't know... Change tack, but there was no one like Tarantino, for instance, in building tension in that sort of situation. And I felt almost none of the tension that Tarantino could have wrung out of that situation. But still, mm. I did feel some. Yeah, and and after that point, um, he gets he gets a lot less murdery. And I don't think he kills another person. Oh, uh, that, that's the helicopter policeman. guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, if Holly had 
said, no, I'm not coming with you earlier, would he have shot her too? Maybe? Well, I was, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Was it interesting? Or, or, or was, was he just was his motivation real... the whole time? I, I feel from, I don't feel that he would have done. I feel that, you know, even when she said, I'm not coming with you in a, in a moment of high emotion, uh, I did wonder, is he actually going to shoot her now? But I never got the impression from his acting or body language that there was anything he considered. He just, he was he was frustrated, clearly. But anyone else who he'd got to that level of frustration with, he just shot. Yeah. <laughs> and he he never really gave any hint that he would do that with her. Yeah, I, I think it's more, okay, you know, this thing has gone bad the same way everything else goes bad. I'll just turn around mm. and walk away. Yeah. Uh, though it's interesting to note the um, that some of that early monologue... Um, she's saying, uh, you know, it, 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 or at least implying that it, that he has had girlfriends who are closer to his own age, just for sex, as it were, or at least that's what he says to her. Yes, um, and yeah, I mean, all right, these these days we're 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 aware of the whole creepiness thing, but yeah. you know, so yeah, when I was at school, somebody who was a bit older who would hang around with the younger kids. Because because they they just they liked hanging around with them, was quite often somebody who was a bit backward. Yeah, yeah, you know, not necessarily in schoolwork, but in the in their personal development and so on. Simply because you know this is the level they're happy working on. And I, yeah, and I wonder, I wonder if there's a bit of that there. You know, they're, they're doing they're doing these fun things. They're going and building a treehouse, living in the living in the wilderness, and so on. There was a bit of a Swiss Family Robinson vibe to it. This kind of twisted. I think that yeah, but, adds but to I'm, the kind I'm also of the fairy guessing tale. The, you know children's play thing just they they happen to have adult bodies and guns and stuff yeah i i completely agree i think they were yeah children in in all barely adult bodies i was interesting that the sex angling that it was very barely touched on and mm. certainly wasn't given as a motivating factor which is very similar to bonnie and clyde in that um at least clyde is in the film portrayed as an impotent um and is not so motivated by sex. Uh, in that, sadly, in the real start, where I think he did attempt to rape someone, and it didn't, it didn't yeah. go well. Well, don't, but, don't um, forget, uh, Bonnie died with, with an engagement ring on her hand. I think it was a wedding ring, in fact. I mean, it wasn't Clyde's, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't yeah, know. That it, seems but... like a strange attitude that would have been. I haven't seen Natural Born Killers. I wonder. I would suspect nowadays that would be a much more sexualized, yeah, partnership. Certainly, that's the way it often seems to go. Uh, in term, and look at Heather's as well. Um, which, you know, yeah, yes, we, yes, we are doing dangerous and, and illegal things and not getting caught. And this is exciting. Yeah. It is, is a big part of it. I, I think a, a bit of context is interesting here because this is, this is two years after Straw Dogs came out. Oh, really? Is that the infamous Cornish horror story? Yeah. <laughs> Full of horrible Cornish people. And, you know, okay, so, um, we get, we get a fair bit of shooting, and uh, it, it's just your classic uh, sort of three-inch blood bags. It doesn't look particularly convincing, but it looks, you know, plausible if you don't know what a bullet wound looks like. It, it, yes. it gets the message across that this guy has been shot. Um, yes. But, you know, it's, it's not by any means gory. Uh, it's And no. there's basically no nudity, and, I mean, I don't, I don't think you could even say particularly whether they've slept together or not. It's sort of implied, isn't it? it, it it's um, there's implied, a scene it's where it's suggested that, you that they say did definitively. Something. No, or and you get the impression if they did, it was quite disappointing. And not, given, <laughs> not... <laughs> given some of the other stuff that was coming out at the time, um, 
I find that a surprisingly restrained choice, and I and I think it must have been a deliberate one because certainly the the cinematic environment of the day. Okay, may, maybe not the underage thing. Maybe that was why they restrained it, but. Even so. This was at a time when they were pushing against the old. Was it the Hayes Code in films? Yeah, the production um, code broke down. Pretty much had broken down by now. I mean, we had before this. We've had Deliverance, I believe, as before Bonnie and Clark. We've had the Wild Bunch, which is Sam Peckinpah's spectacularly violent. Um, but it may be that this film was in production during that time, and so didn't. Well, not really, because the 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 code. And they, they continued to work with us in the 50s, but dur- even during the 50s, they, they were definitely pushing, you know, the, it, it was not, yeah, it wasn't wartime anymore. It, uh, it was now, now let's try getting away with it. Uh, yeah. yeah. D- during a lot of the 60s, um, they were still trying, yeah, all right, you, you have to keep to this, but we're not actually going to bother to do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, By so, this point, people were just really starting to, Ignore it. I mean, this is after the French and and, and they officially withdrew it in '68. So I don't. Oh, so it was completely officially withdrawn by now. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so it's I, certainly so not gratuitous. Um, I absolutely agree. Uh, it, uh, but that, in a way, sent the the violence in it is almost languid, like the rest of the film. It is very um, detached. Uh, people just sort of stagger back, look a bit surprised. Drop dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and and the committing of the violence isn't really producing much pleasure either. I mean, it's it's a thing that he's doing because it's the thing that is is part of his plan to get what he wants. Insofar as yeah. that's a plan, uh, but but he's not enjoying it. No, enjoying you almost get else. the feeling he's sort of trying it out to see how it feels, rather than. I mean, he doesn't seem upset or worried about it, but he doesn't seem anything about it. Yeah, I mean, from a psychological point of view, I, I think this is a film that only works with firearms. Um, because if, if you're, you know, in, gratuitously or grievously injuring somebody hand to hand, you need to work yourself up to do that. Unless, yeah. unless you are particularly, um, strange in your, in your basic makeup. It's it requires not, it's not some a, physical effort, doesn't it? If nothing else. The, the standard primate thing is, is both parties front up to each other and maybe one of them will back down. And if they don't, then the fight starts. Yes. Yeah. And even that usually takes time to work up to serious damage. Whereas with a gun, you can go from straight, I'm just sitting here casually talking to you. I pick the thing up, bang, and you're dead. Ow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which, which short circuits that thing. I, I completely agree. That would be very hard to do with a katana. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I used to love Agatha Christie when I was a kid. <laughs> I loved, um, whodunits and the, the idea of, um, I don't know, this murdering and something. As I'd grown up, I'm still particularly a big as fan, I, but... <laughs> well, I have come to understand that murder is not, I think maybe since seven. The film Seven. And since every serial killer drama afterwards has this genius level person making some huge philosophical point with them, with their murders. Mm. Uh, or, you know, in Agatha Christie, it's just so, um, banal is the word I'm going to use, which we'll come back to. <laughs> the, uh, well, this that, that comes into that whole excursion thing again. Um, the, the, the classic mystery story is is very is a very conservative medium. You know, yes, that society has been has been injured, has been broken by this killing, and by the end of the story, society is restored because the killer is not able to go out and do it again. 
Yes. Uh, yeah, we, we can't get completely back to the status quo because the original victim is still dead, but we do the best we can. But we're still hanging on our tea afternoons in the <laughs> in the church every Sunday. I, and, and so you, you could argue that this, that, I mean, obviously it is not a mystery, but you could argue no. that there's a similar narrative arc here in that, you know, the, the guy commits multiple murders and is caught and he's yes. not going to do it again. But I don't think there is that sense of society is restored that you would get with a murder mystery. Well, it's a, it's a no means a whodunit. Um, well, um, sure, sure. In fact, in some ways it's a why done it, and nobody really knows. <laughs> um, uh, I, I suppose the point I was trying to get across is that, to me, murder is one of the most primal and brutal things a human... Well, the most primal and brutal thing a human can do to another human. Um, and so to have that boiled down to... Oh, I was doing it for his, um, for this obscure reason, uh, that is all brought out in a drawing room by Hercule Poirot, or, uh, or is to prove a point about the seven deadly sins, or to make a point about what Milton said about ethics. <laughs> to me, murder is quite often, and I, I suppose this stems from partially just knowing human beings, partially from reading David Simon's homicides. Mm-hmm. I'm watching Homicide Light on the Street and The Wire, also highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, that murder is, uh, it's, it's brutal, it's often idiotic, it's usually accidental, it's not thought through, it's messy and it's unpleasant and it's, it's just disastrous. It usually doesn't end well for anyone involved. Um, mm. and I, what I like about this film is it betrays that, it portrays that kind of, not the brutality in a way, but the messiness, the idiocy. I think the idiocy of it, the sheer idiocy of, I've just, just do this. Oh dear, you're dead now. Not, not really, no thought particularly appreciated with it. Just, mm. just tra- the tragedy and the idiocy of it. Um, and in some ways, to me, rather than the banality of evil, this is like a, almost a meditation on the idiocy of evil, just the thoughtlessness of, of thoughtless cruelty with no real purpose or motivation, no higher meaning other than just, I've got a gun, bang, you're dead. Yeah, and I mean, Arendt really is obviously talking, talking about, uh, they're about the Nazis and saying, I, I, I think a larger point is, is essentially they were doing this not thinking, ho, 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 I'm an evil murderer. They, yes. they, were, they were thinking, here is the thing that will get, will achieve the ends that I have in mind. And it happens to be murder, but, you know, it, it could be building a wall. But uh, in this film, I here, feel here, like... He'd... And here, yeah, we get away from that. He, he's not he's not. He doesn't even an have an mind. end in mind, really. In fact, one thing I found rather telling was they're driving... Past, they've just killed, I forget, it's like four or five people. <laughs> um, or he has just killed, because uh, Holly doesn't kill anyone in the film, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just driving past an old broken-down truck on the side of the road. And he's like, oh, they're probably going to pin that on me too. I just to me, that was emblematic of his kind of attitude. He was like, I don't deserve this. Why? Are they, they're all getting at me. Even though he had clearly just killed a bunch of people. He knew it. He wasn't trying to excuse it. But just that kind of... And they both spout these kind of semi-profound sayings during the film as if they have a handle on the world and reality. And I, or, I don't or at think least they've read a lot of Karak, yeah. Exactly. And I don't think we're supposed to think that they are. I don't think... In fact, one one of the interesting things about Malik's direction, I don't think it's in any way prurient or judgmental or anything. It's just it's just like, look at this. It's not quite uh, documentary, though. I mean, there there is careful setting up of the shots for, for emotional impact. 
Uh, I and, agree. And to make it clear, you know, th- this is how things are connected to each other. Uh, why, you know, why, why that particular thing links to that other thing, and so on. It, it's it's not just you know set the camera in the corner of the room and film. Oh yes, no, it's not documentary, but it isn't. It's not judgmental. I felt that it wasn't hmm. like Bonnie and Clyde. One of uh, to go back to Bonnie and Clyde. It is. Um, it's a. It's a weird tone it's trying to go for because it is on the one hand, oh, isn't this terrible? But it's also kind of look how cool these people are. Isn't this cool? This mm-hmm. is really cool. It's very sensationalist. Whereas this film is. I mean, uh, Kit is presented as kind of a cool character, or at least he presents himself as, and is clearly, you know, looks the part. But it in no way kind of dwells on that or makes him cool. Mm. Um, and it, but also it doesn't judge against either. I found it an interesting kind of amoral directoral directoral uh, tone. Yeah, it's very, very much the sense was, well, this is just happening. I'm not going to tell yeah. you why it's happening. Maybe we don't know. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And I appreciated that, I suppose, because there's one thing, uh, one of the worst sins a film can commit is to... I don't mind being told what to think, but one of the worst things a film can commit is telling you what to think and having you think, no, that's not what I think. <laughs> I think the opposite. <laughs> I think the opposite of what you're trying to tell me. Whereas this film couldn't commit that sin because it's not really trying to tell you anything, I don't feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of my pluses. The, the murder, to me, felt true to life, which is not a surprise because it was based on a true story of these... Ten people that just got randomly killed. And I, I prefer that much more to... Though I did watch Knives Out, which is very good, I must say. I do like the old whodunit. That's a very mm-hmm. good whodunit. Um, um, the, yeah, the idiocy of evil. The other thing I appreciated was it's relatively short. <laughs> having watched <laughs> having watched um, The Thin Red Line and remembering it's having a very long running time. I was a bit concerned Badlands. But it's only 90 minutes long, which is amazing for a film yeah, nowadays. There, there are some shots which probably would be, would be shorter in a modern film. But I, I didn't think anything desperately overstayed its welcome. No, absolutely. I, I felt it. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't say it rattled along at a, a fair old pace, but it didn't. It didn't outstay its welcome, which is again. <laughs> I don't want to belittle that as a, a sin for a film because that really would turn me off. On so, I mean, they would be my main hmm. positives. I think this kind of. I don't. I don't want to say amoral because that doesn't. But this um, neutral directoral tone and the attitude to the murders. Um, yeah, I mean, and, it, it would have been very easy to make it a, aren't these cool criminals? Yeah, as as I feel. I haven't seen Natural Born Killers, but all the publicity, maybe that's one we should watch. I don't know if yeah. it's considered a masterpiece. So. Um, but all the publicity kind of suggests it, and certainly Bonnie and Clyde, they're very sensationalised, even if... You know they get their comeuppance at the end, but they are they're cool. They're made to, you're meant to feel like this is exciting. They're having fun. And um, on on the flip side, a production code era film would be you would probably have a, have a, have a you know, police or FBI character taking the majority of the time yes. ch- chasing these guys who are going across murdering. It would yes, be much I, more well, I think you had to. You, you literally couldn't profit from crime, could you, under the Hayes Code? I think you had to. Mm-hmm. Pay pay your pay your dues at the end, um, but there was a good ways of getting around that. I think, um, yeah. So uh, they were my positives. I said, would you, do you would you have any other things that you thought you enjoyed with it? Well, something I, I became very aware of that it's it's more of a modern technique, uh, really. It's, particularly since digital processing became easy, uh, is color palletting. 
Right. Uh, yes. Yeah, your modern film where you have the um, orange for friendly good stuff and the blue for unfriendly <laughs> yeah. bad stuff and so on. Yes. And once you become aware of that, it's very hard not to see it. So I apologise if I'm the first person to tell you. <laughs> oh that. no. Uh, All right. I'll, but, I'll but forget this. Th- this has made me, uh, I think, more aware of colour in film generally, and even you know, even the early stuff that there is greenery about, but it is not. It is not healthy greenery. It is. It mm. is. You know. It's the it's the humans have moved in and, and broken stuff. Yeah, uh, and that, then they're out into the wilderness where it is more pristine, but at the same time even less friendly. It's all browny yellow, isn't it? If you ask me what the film was, I'd say <laughs> browny yellow. Yeah, and and it pretty much stays there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I I found it a positive. I quite enjoyed her Holly's voiceover. Mm. Um, I was surprised because there is actually a voiceover in the Thin Red Line which I found incredibly irritating <laughs> and it <laughs> came back to me during this film it's very similar I wonder if this is just his very uh, is uh, Malik's directorial style as he does this kind of languid voiceover because it was very similar in the Thin Red Line well but al- I like... although he does have some just one on one conversations he d- he does like his long shots as well mm. and yeah if you're going to do a long shot and you want to be conveying something at the same time it's nice to have somebody to listen to. <laughs> I, I, enjoy, I liked the contrast. It's interesting we came away with different. I felt she was incredibly naive and living in her own kind of fantasy. Um, and you felt she was kind of rewriting her own history um, and, and trying to kind it, of... Yeah, it, it, it felt like this is what I'm going to tell my parents. Okay. Well, if they, if well, they were still alive. If, if I had any. <laughs> <laughs> this is what yeah, I'm going to okay. tell the judge. That's a good. Uh, that's a good thought. Yeah, I uh, the, the I other didn't... thing that really struck me on that uh, is once it, once he has been arrested, mm. once they've actually caught him, is is this constant flow of banter. I mean, the the arresting officers, not all of them, go along with it, but he's he's basically chatting and saying, "Hey, you know, good job catching me," all that stuff. He, he's just being. I I think the assumption would be, you know, this guy is a hardened criminal. He's going to keep being a hardened criminal. He's going to say, yeah. you, "You'll never take me alive, copper, or whatever." But he's just. It just stops, and indeed it's, he stops himself. He, he's he's that that bit with the with shooting out the tire. He's yeah, got he's yeah. got to the point where okay, this this just isn't working anymore. It's I go, not fun anymore. Yeah, yeah. And he actually, from the moment he's captured, it is the happiest and most charming it is mm. for the whole film. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wonder hit- whether that might be regarded as uh, lo- looking for a role that he can fit into, even if captured criminal is the only role that he can get to. And he does. He plays that much better than the. Yeah, that's. It's an interesting scene where he's giving away objects that he knows are going to be souvenirs, where he's just mm-hmm. throwing them out. To, and it's the kind of the hints of the first. This guy's going to be a celebrity. This kind of culture is now that probably first started around. You know, I guess the Jack the Ripper killings. It was and it really well, started. very much the Mansons as well would, would yes, be in people's yeah. minds. So the film is set, and it's interesting because in some ways it's hard to place the film. It doesn't make a lot of effort to. Um, well, the cars are kind of 50s. They are. So it is a 50s film, but it doesn't go out of the way to make it, because it was made in the 70s. It doesn't sort of play it as a period piece in the same way Bonnie and Clyde really does. Mm-hmm. It really kind of makes it clear that this is a, uh, a 20s movie, um, 30s. Well, Depression era, wouldn't it be 30s? Yeah. Um, but that uh, that doesn't really happen here. Logic is there's not that much around. It's, yeah, you've got the cars to go off. 
but everything else is kind of timeless in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't suppose they had a lot of trouble in finding bits of small town where they could just say, yeah, it pretty much looked like this in the 50s, we'll just shoot here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I've been across the US in the late 80s, early 90s, and there were certainly places that would have fit right in there. Well, that, we did talk briefly on the email about, could, is there the similar sort of, I guess I said nihilism in the email, because it does have that feel to it. They just know, and that, I think that's common to these kind of teenage rebellion ones, where they, they know when they're going to end up. Um, and that, I think, is, is something that isn't necessarily in common with Westerns. With these kind of films, there is a kind of a, a dread and a nihilism sort of shot through them with with the Brando films, with with Dean's films, with with this film, with a lot of this kind of uh, it's not really a heist gone wrong kind of film. It's definitely not that sort of film. Um, but compared to a western, it doesn't. So I was trying to think of a British film that does have that degree of nihilism. I think you were right. There just isn't as much space in Britain to to go out into the wilderness in that way that they do, um, and find their uh, I don't know, find yeah. their wild selves. Well, I, I was recently talking with someone else about a, um, okay, a, a not terribly impressive Western, uh, Man of the East, 1972. Is uh, James Stewart? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Terence Hill in it. That's about the only person you might have heard of. Uh, but the the thing that interested me there is is not particularly the main plot of the film itself, but, but a, a practically throwaway scene just before the credits roll. And I'm not, not at all sure that the, the uh, director realised the significance of it, but um, it, it's basically it, it's the it's the last days of the West, and everybody has some idea of this is going on. But at the end, the the outlaws who have been the old outlaws who've been you know staying ahead when a place gets too civilised, they move on. They move yeah. on again, and holy crap, we've got to the Pacific, <laughs> yeah. and there are already trains here. Now what do we do? I mean, it's played for laughs, but that 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 is that is what ends the western to me. Well, that, there's, there's quite a few films that explore. There's a, um, the Wild Bunch has a similar sort of thing because that's set in like the early twenties, yeah. and I think Once Upon in the Once Upon a Time in the West has a similar sort of film. It's the approach of the trains, um, and it's the the end of the. I mean, the western here. I don't know. It can't have been more than a hundred years, really. It's probably much. Less yeah, it was than about that. three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was not. Um, I mean, after the Civil War, and before. The if you're doing century, it after the least. Civil War, yeah, until, well, yeah, 1890s or something, when the trains started appearing on the west coast, wasn't it? So and and then then the whole uh, Wild West show extended that and made it a myth. That's true, because I've been reading From Hell. Um, and the, of course, the, yeah, Bill, uh, the Wild West show in London is there in 1888. Mm-hmm. And that, they're already sensationalizing, sensationalizing the West then. Wow, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I, well, yeah, I, guess I, I have an alternate timeline in which Annie Oakley shot Wilhelm II, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that might have avoided some problems along the way. Um, my, my negatives for the film. Uh, I, I don't, I probably already talked about them really. I, I don't respond well to that kind of dreamlike quality that it gets across. This kind of, I, I was desperate for someone to show some emotion during the film. <laughs> Just. If, if it were so... an English film, you would call it mannered, I think. <laughs> I don't know whether it's southern, I don't know if North Dakota, South Dakota counts as a southern state. Not really, it's Midwest. Not really. But it has that kind of southern, 
uh, politeness that is slightly English as well to it. It's this kind of everyone's called sir, um, and everyone's very polite, and everyone's very toned, buttoned down. Even when they've been shot, they'll just quietly stagger into the into <laughs> their room and, and politely die. Um, By God, uh, sir, your legs off. Yeah, <laughs> it was, um, and I, I'm sure that was deliberately tonal, but it's, uh, it is a feeling of slight unreality to me. Whenever I watch a film and people don't react in a way that feels true to me, mm. I struggle then to suspend my disbelief for the rest of the film. I, I wonder I if it might it... have made a better contrast. I mean, yeah, uh, Kit himself, yeah, is not being emotionally affected by this stuff and therefore it's entirely reasonable for him to remember to run around and open the door and all the rest of it. Exactly, yeah. I wonder if that might have made a more effective contrast if other people hadn't been acting in the same sort of way. I think that's exactly what I want. Again, I I like Holly being so kind of, well, we could read, we read it in our different ways, either naive or slightly cunning. Um, but she, or I didn't like her. Both, I mean, exactly. There was clearly something a bit different about her that attracted her, uh, them both to each other in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I would have appreciated a bit more. I don't know, panic instead of oh, you've got a gun on me. And it was well acted, you know. They were clearly <laughs> terrified, but it was like oh, you pulled a gun. All right, I'll get in this coal cellar then. Oh, okay. Yes, you can stay here. You'll be my guest. Stay as long as you like. I just felt. Um, and I appreciate they were being very polite to the person that had the gun on them, but it's still everyone in the whole film reacted in that way to everything ever. Mm. Um, and I, I found that it felt uh, like Kubrick to me, and I, I find Kubrick is um, a hard director for me to get on with. I, the only character I can think of in a Kubrick film. Actually, Peter Sellers in Doctor Strange Love, you're never going to get him to, <laughs> to act in that sort of way. Um, similarly, Jack Nicholson in The Shining, you know, yeah. he's he's not going to be buttoned down. And they are the standout characters in those Kubrick's films. I suppose Malcolm McDowell in um, in uh, uh, Clockwork Orange. <sighs> but I don't he, know. He's, I he's pretty flat. I mean, that's kind he of the is, point. Yeah. But, but, but he, he's, he's kind of, flat in a world where all the people in, aren't quite Exactly. As much. He does sort of animated robotic thing, but even then, while he's kicking the shit out of someone to singing in the rain, he's very unemotional about it. But yeah, it, it, uh, other people in the film react to that with horror in a very cute yeah. way. There's a bit towards <laughs> the end where um, they, they, they've got Kit arrested. They, got, they want him to sign some bit of paperwork, and he's carrying this around for a bit, and eventually he leans on his back to sign it. And yeah. I had a flashback, and I... I I don't know whether it might have been the Silence of the Lambs or something of that sort. A scene where that happens and the criminal stabs the guy with the fountain pen as a means to escape. (laughs) (laughs) You were hoping that would happen. No, I've just suddenly realised I've seen this before, but it's not clearly not this version of this. Yes, I I can see. I don't think it's... I'm not sure, but yes, that probably... Uh, So I I found that the, the tone, which I think is probably a Terence Malick thing, Having only mm. else, other seen, otherwise seen the Thin Red Line, he's only made, I think, about five films. He's not a prolific. He's made a few more recently, but yeah, yeah. But he, he had like a twenty-year gap after he made one mm-hmm. more film after this, and then yeah. didn't until the Thin Red Line. Um, so I didn't, I didn't respond well to the tone. So for me, you said it was a hard watch. It, it was. I don't mind, well, particularly the opening third or so. Yeah, I, I think I don't mind not having. A character to root for, but I who was it who said the essence of drama is um, uh, 
have a character you care about and then do horrible things to them. And that, that doesn't <laughs> happen here because you do, we don't have a character that we care about. Um, and horrible things, by and large, don't really happen to them. They happen to other people. Mm-hmm. So I agree. That probably added to that. Actually, uh, thinking on it, that probably added to my sense of vague... Mm, not dislike of the film, but it's not a film I would watch again. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you for my 90 minutes back, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> yes, yes, um, good. I'm going to keep it in my collection. Uh, I can't see myself watching it just for its own sake. I mean, I could see myself looking at it to say, oh, you know, did this particular scene work that way? Mm. But I, I don't suppose I'm going to invite some friend around, friends around to say, hey, let's watch this. That's why this is. Well, it was hailed pretty much as an instant masterpiece of the cinema, this mm. one, um, when it was shown at whichever film festival it was, I believe. Um, I gather Terence Malick is not an easy director to work for. I don't want to read too much. <laughs> it's, um, would you would you agree that it is a, a a masterpiece of the form? Does it change things? I'm my sense of of seventies film is not as complete as it needs to be to answer that question. I think, mm. um, as I say, Straw Dogs had happened, mm. and and by. I wonder whether one of the things that struck people on this was how how restrained it was in terms of telling a, quite a violent story yes. without a lot of blood and gore on the screen. Yes. Without a lot of, you know, I am reveling in being nasty about yes. it. Yes. When did Scarface come out? It was, uh, it was a, a few years till Scarface, I think. But he would be, oh yeah, ten years till Scarface. That mm. is a man reveling in being nasty. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I... So, so I think that may, I think that may have affected initial perceptions of it. It's it's. While I was watching it, I I wasn't finding myself thinking, okay, they stole that bit for X later film. Mm. Um. On the other hand, I think it would be quite difficult to steal a bit in isolation. One one of the reasons why when I'm looking for ideas for games, I watch bad films and read bad books <laughs> is because very often they don't meld the ideas together and you can pull one out without breaking it from context. I, I, Clichés I, work much better in role-playing games than they do in films. That too. But I think this really does all fit together. It's telling a single story about yes. it. And you you couldn't really pull out any particular scene or incident without having to give the context that is basically all the other scenes. Yes, I agree. I, so I so so, that, so that that's the closest thing I have to a, a, quali- a barometer of quality, and I would say on that it certainly scores high, as, yes, as opposed sorry. to just how I feel about it. Exactly. Yes. So as a complete film, it works to me. It feels more like uh, a modulation of Bonnie and Clyde, which preceded it, as we say, by six years. In that it was much more. Almost like someone watching Bonnie and Clyde being like, well, I don't want a sensationalist film, let's just show it. But I'm not sure it's as simple as that. It's clearly trying to say something. I don't, well, I'm not it, sure it's part of that long to... list of films that, that we were talking about at the beginning of this, this is that sense of there is a rebellion going on and we just can't see why. Yes. You know, the, and I yeah, it, it's not as if the guy, well, he might, we don't know, but it's not as if he has in the context of the story an, you know, an abusive parent or a dead dad or you know, any of those standard motivating things. He's just like that. He's just, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I suppose in that context, I, um, I am not sure if it brings something desperately new to the table um, in the sense that it feels like a variation on films that have gone before it. 
I, I feel like the newness that it brings exactly is, is what you say, really, that it is more buttoned down. I think maybe, as I said, it, it's got a more kind of non-judgmental passive, uh, not passive, but non-judgmental sort of tone to it that leads you to mm. make your own conclusions, which, is, yeah. So I don't know that it was, was it desperately influential? I, I mean, I, I think it probably was. I would say you could draw a straight line from this to Natural Born Killers, um, amongst other things. I, I would say it was influential in that it became part of people's mental landscape of what a film could be, but I don't think mm. it was directly copied very much. No. Um, is it a masterpiece? I, I, I think I would, I would, I would go with yes. I mean, I, I think for the reasons that you say, it's, it, it's got a clear directorial vision that it, I think it achieves. It is slightly enigmatic vision in that you're not quite sure. If anything, it seems to be, I mean, the themes that I feel it touches on are themes that I'm interested in, and the themes I felt it touched on were the idiocy slash banality of evil. Hmm. Um, and the the kind of the uh in some ways the the pointlessness of <laughs> of people's uh, actions and the the kind of the well the nihilism of it the meaningless meaninglessness of it um which are i they're all themes that I respond to I just didn't feel the warmth and connection that yeah. I would with, well, with the lost films one one of the I mean, part part of the problem here is because the, these are young and largely uneducated people. Yes. But yeah, where I, the thing I find myself asking perhaps too often is, where is the life of the mind? You know, what would they talk about? We see a bit of that, but it, she touches it's very on it. Doesn't she? she says most of the time we got on and stayed in love. I think, mm. and that, but it doesn't really never really shows them particularly. Oh, here's, in a here's, loving way. Here's a thing that might, you you could possibly regard as, I mean, would certainly have been influenced by it, um, and that is Dog Day Afternoon, which is uh, yes, two years yes. later, uh, again based lo- at least loosely on real life events. Is that, uh, is that, is that Sydney Lumet? It no. is, it and is, then okay. um, Al Pacino is, as the most recognisable starring name. That's a good film, though. Wow, well, I see straight away. I respond. Better to that film. Just remembering, I haven't seen it for years, but I remember being grip, gripped by it. So, I, w- would you agree with me that it, it, it's not copying this, but it, it 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 seems very likely that Lumet would have been aware of this? Yes, and they, that would have been part of his lexicon of yeah, I could do it this way, or I could do it not this way. Well, it's similar sort of themes again of this kind of. Uh, rebelling and ra- almost pointless rage against it, and that is a very—it's got a very seventies um, oh, feel to it. This, this—it's almost like the directors are the the uh, the young rebels, you know. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, and and I, yeah, Luma was part of that. Um, I forgot. Did he do? Did he do Network as well? I can't remember what Luma did. Um, I need to be more educated on Luma. But um, yes, I would agree that it has a similar feel. But I suppose I'm slightly hesitant there in that. I don't know how much this was an influence as to just that was the zeitgeist of the 70s. Mm. Like Dirty Harry has a similar sort of vibe to it almost. Um, like the French Connection. Uh, let me give you an example of what I think was influential. I watched The French Connection, which was probably two years before this, three mm-hmm. years before this. And you can, from it was entirely different from every other police film I'd seen up until then. It is. Mm-hmm. And you can draw... Lines from that to the wire to pretty much every police procedural drama ever been since yeah. that. Yeah. That just felt like that was a holy shit. This is how we can show 
the policeman. I mean, he was the original, in Gene Hackman's character was the original um, dysfunctional cop, I think, who just absolutely <laughs> had no, his life not in control at all. He's not even that great a cop in the French Connection either. <laughs> that was very good. And, and in a way, this didn't feel stunningly different. Um, yeah. Uh, look, looking at the um, top grossing films of this year, um, three of them made over 50 million and then the next one after that is 22-odd. So th- those top three are The Exorcist, The Sting, oh, yeah. and American Graffiti. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. And I think it would be fair to say that all of those have been more influential in terms of um, direct copying than these. Yes. Than, than this one. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, direct copying or yeah, stealing the tone or st- or trying to imitate, even with, yeah, I completely agree, all three of those. Um, On the other hand, I'm, yeah, I'm, I am glad I saw this. It, it's yeah, yeah, it, it's it's not it's not one of the great big planks of later filmmaking, but it's but a, there's definitely a a, a flavour there that that uh, has has come through to some extent. Yes, uh, I think it succeeds in what it wants to do, and I enjoyed the themes that it proposed. I even if I didn't necessarily enjoy the film itself. I thought the acting the acting is a hard one to answer because uh it is so toned down. I feel exactly like you. I think I think Martin Sheen and City Space are both really good in it. Um mm-hmm. I just think that would have been a better contrast if other people had been a bit more animated and you could see just how atypical they were of society. But maybe that was the point. Maybe the point is that everyone's like that really but I, that's not my experience of humanity so that's why it didn't gel with me one thing but, i would like to mention is the soundtrack uh my, my basic criterion for a soundtrack is that it should not distract me from the film but it should set an emotional tone i mean if i'm yeah. if i'm actually noticing what song it is yes. that, then that is too forward as far as i'm concerned but this this has got orf uh orf and Kateman. Uh, it's got it's got eric Satie, it's got nat king cole it's got james taylor Mm. And it all fits. Yeah, and that, that, that was quite that, that a nice very scene nice with Nat King Cole. I like that. Um, that was the one sort of bit of warmth I felt. <laughs> I don't, I'll be honest. Aside from Nat King Cole, who they explained, I didn't notice the soundtrack, which is probably a good thing. Mm. Well, that's the thing. What, what I want a soundtrack yeah. to do is, is set an emotional tone without being, "Hey, look, we got this song." <laughs> yes, I agree. It was, good. and I didn't notice there wasn't. It was a very soundtrack-like film. There was not a lot... Like, none of the violent scenes or none of the chase scenes were... I didn't notice any soundtrack. Maybe there was one, but I'm pretty sure they were all just... Mm -hmm. uh, There was no music, I don't think, which is good. I mean, sometimes... Well, yeah, I'm not anti-soundtrack, but I thought that worked very well here. And added to this sense of, we're not judging this, you're not supposed to feel anything particularly. This is just how it was. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think I would say glad to have seen it. Not going to watch it again in a hurry. Yes, agreed. Is it going to be on my top ten films of 1973? Well, I don't really have enough films of 1973 to have <laughs> one yet. So. Uh, I would lose out to the Sting for me. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> um, which may be a worse film, but it's um, that's interesting. Is there a difference between a film that is? Entertainment, as we started coming in, was I entertained by this film? Not especially. Did I appreciate it? Yes, I did. I yeah, think that's, that's probably that's the way the thing. I, I mean, just, just just poking the pleasure centres is is a relatively easy thing to do. And yes, yeah, 
and that that doesn't have to be all comedy or light or optimism, but I I wasn't particularly moved by it on any emotional sense. And yeah, that's probably why. Well, to to, th- to think of a film that is basically about enjoyment all the way through. I mean, so, something like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or Star Wars. Mm. Um, yes. N- not saying anything about the qualities in other respects, but that that is the primary thing they're setting out to achieve, and they achieve it. They do, yeah. And uh, th- th- this does not do that. I mean, some people would call it a more grown-up film. I, d- I don't really like that cat- categorization. But it, it, it's definitely not trying to do quite the same thing. No, it isn't. I wonder, maybe that's the difference between, you know, some authors feel they want to weed out the readers who aren't going to put, put the work in to appreciate, so you have to work <laughs> harder. Um, whereas some authors feel it is their business to make the work as readable and as... as, as uh, as, as gettable as possible, and mm-hmm. I, I would tend to sympathise more with the latter in the sense that doing that doesn't mean you can't insert themes or deeper truths or hidden meanings. Uh, it, it feels to me as slightly arch and snobby to avoid doing that, but that's probably my lack of an arts education. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here, here's a bit of trivia for you. Uh, when when Warner's bought it. Uh, they they previewed it on a double bill with Blazing Saddles. Oh my god, that is a tonal gear shift that I'm not sure I could deal with. And the audiences hated it. And oh, the, funny the, that the, the production team eventually booked it into a bunch of cinemas as a single billing to demonstrate that yeah, if you don't do that, people will actually be happy to see it. Was it on <laughs> after Blazing Saddles? I've no idea. It? God, that would be. <laughs> I can't imagine. Oh my goodness. Mel Brooks, then Terence Malick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, good. Well, thank- I've enjoyed this discussion. I feel like I've delved deeper mm. into Badlands. Thank you very much. Thank you.